0: humanity no let's just say humans have done some amazing things in this world humans have had some unbelievable accomplishments number one space travel going to the moon apollo 11 a crazy amount of technology uh one of the greatest feats of mankind The second thing is technology. I mean, we're so technologically savvy and we're so uh, interested on technology today. Some of the greatest things, I don't know if you guys were around in the 60s. I know many of you were and a few of you not, but a computer used to take up your whole living room. And there was a little card they'd put in and it'd calculate and it took up a huge amount. So the actual microchip, was ginormous and it brought you a computer into your home and also a computer into your hand. Huge technological advancements, one of the great things. How about imaging? The way that we're taking photographs on our phones, from the air, the imaging has been amazing. Electricity and WWW, the World Wide Web, for those that are under 20, that's called Wi-Fi to you. Nobody knows the dial-up anymore, but that was horrible. (laughs) At the turn of the the century, remember Y2K, when they said the 21st century, do you guys remember what they said it was going to be? It was going to be the biotechnology century. We were going to learn more about the human body, and we have through DNA and everything that we've learned about the body, it's been incredible. The medicines that we have, the way that we're doing surgeries today, and the understanding of the body, how we understand how the body heals and works, it's been amazing just in the last few years. And here's one that's kind of interesting. What about farming? My buddy Will mentioned this, I don't know, six or eight months ago. Uh, He's up, everybody say hi Will up in the booth up there. Will's a great. Will was talking about how incredible farming is. Now, I only see one farmer here today. You might be a farmer. I don't know that, though. But farming is incredible because just 100 years ago or maybe 200 years ago, everybody that was eating food usually had to do something on their land, either have chickens or or animals and did some sort of farming, and they interchange that with others. But today, I just go to sprouts, and I don't have to pick any potatoes, or habaneros, I just pick them up and I pay for them. Farming has been a huge uh, advancement. The food supply, the the health that we have, we're living longer because of the food we have. And don't get me on the uh, the. Yeah, you know, I'm just not going to say it. And then the community development. We have big communities like Southern California and New York and, and all those other big communities because we have farming and we can bring it in and we know how to ship lemons to different parts of the world and avocados and all of that stuff. So farming has been huge. And then the last one is the mastering of travel. It's crazy. It used to take six weeks to three months to travel across the eastern seaboard or the Pacific Ocean. Now we can get there in hours. If you've ever been to China, it's about a 12 to 14 hour into China and then you go other places. It's incredible how fast we can go. Planes, trains, and automobiles. We we have this train in California. We've never seen it, but it's supposed to go really fast one day. Just... And then we have automobiles that are self-driving and one day we're gonna see the transportation of it in a different way. But just the mastering of travel has been incredible and the human accomplishment is amazing. But what humanity has also done positively, humans have done negatively. What we are given from God, we also turn into evil. Number one is war, any war. Doesn't matter what it is, it's usually over greed or resources, of some sort of wanting something. And so war has been something that's lasted the, 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 the whole time that we've been on this earth. And then the second one is the weapons. The greatest thing that's ever happened in our society today is the atomic bomb that's been man-made, and we have nuclear capabilities, we have drone capabilities today. Weapons has also uh, been, what was done for protection or other things has now been used for negative things. The third one is, and one of the most severe things that we've ever seen is the Holocaust. Six million people killed by a regime thinking that they were doing something better for humanity. What about drugs? The drug epidemic is humongous, it's getting worse and worse. And we're not doing that much as a society to deal with it. We're talking about it. We realize it. But the drug academic, they're talking about 350,000 people in America are dying from pharmaceuticals every year, if not more. 350. So one person, uh, uh, 1,000 people every day. Just on pharmaceuticals alone. That's not including anything else. And the last one might be the worst one of all is slavery. And not just the horrific slavery that's in our small history, but all of slavery through the test of time. And even beyond that, the slavery that's happening today. I know a story happened right down the street. I'm just going to kind of give you generalities, but it came from Facebook and trafficked somebody in our community to sex slave. So don't act like it doesn't happen here and other places. It's not in this, but it's happening in our own city and it's happening all over the world. Sex sex trafficking and slavery is is an issue. It's been happening for all of time. We are working. Jeremy did a message with Love Justice and they're trying to help people out of this. This is still happening today and it's horrible. But there's one person, one human being that might be the worst human being of all time. You guys probably know him. His name's Mao Zedong or Chairman Mao. I don't know how much you know about it because we don't know much about what's happening in China, but this one man in four years killed at least what we know of, 45 million people in four years. From 1958 to 1962, he killed at least 45 million. 10% of those, if not more, were tortured to death for months on end. So we know of that, so you know how things are in China and the data they give us. It could be 90, it could be 120, It could be 180 million people that died. We have no idea. We just know of the 45 million. One man in four years. We don't talk about this this much because it's not our history, but it is history in the world. But the beautiful thing, there's another man that counteracts everything that's ever happened, and we call him Jesus Jesus the Christ it's not his last name Jesus Christ and so when you use that as a as a cuss word you're actually mispronouncing it because the Christ is a name Messiah Savior the Christ that's who he is and one man comes into this world and changes everything for all times Here's what Romans said. Here's what Paul says about what happened. Here's what it says. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many, like Mao. For the sin of one man, Adam, brought death to many. But the good news is this. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. saves the world. And it's saving you, it's saving me, and it's saving all of us. And that's where we begin today. And I wanna ask this question, why? As we go into this Christmas season, we're gonna ask the question, why? Why the nativity? What is the purpose of it? That movie is gonna explain a lot of it, and we are gonna dig into the three main characters over the next few weeks. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, and on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the Savior and why he's the Savior. Why? Why do we understand that? It's really important that we ask that question. This Christmas season, we are going to deconstruct the nativity. We're going to pull it apart and look underneath it, and on Christmas Day, that movie is going to go even deeper to help us understand why the nativity is still important and how you can make it a part of your everyday life. Super critical that we understand that. And today we're going to ask the question, why Jesus became a human? And hopefully it's an apologetic study or it's some information that you might know one or two or a few of these. But hopefully you'll learn a few things or beyond that, that you'll take a few of these and go into your workplace, go into the place of school, go into your family and present these things so that you have a greater knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. Why did Jesus become a human? There's got to be a better way. Can't he just levitate down and show himself and say, I'm the Lord, everybody bow down? Or was this the plan from the beginning? Why did he become human? You think there's got to be an easier, softer way. There's not, there's a purpose. Now, we all know the story of the nativity. It's cute. It's a baby Jesus, and there's traveling, but there's a lot of stuff that's not cute. There's murder, and there's mystery, and there's intrigue, and what we're going to do today is know more about the details. You guys and I kind of know the story about the little baby and Bethlehem and Joseph and Mary, but we need to ask the question, why and what does it mean? And do you realize that it's important that you question things about your faith, and you question someone like myself that's on stage reading From the Bible you need to look in your Bible and make sure I haven't manipulated the words because if I'm doing that then I'm misleading you and I'm not of God I'm not working for the kingdom of God I'm working for self But you've gotta fact check it, and it's good to ask the question. There's this concept in, in, in the world today, it's happening on TikTok right now, called deconstructing your faith. Asking all kinds of questions. Well, what's happening is, people are asking all kinds of questions about Jesus and their faith, and they're pointing to humans and not pointing to the Gospel and not pointing to the Bible. And because of that, they're walking away from God or they're minimizing the power of the Gospel. Faith isn't meant to be static. And I honestly think a lot of us come into church and we just don't want to change anything. And we see all up and down our highways and byways here, little churches that are withering away because nobody wants to change the music. No one wants to change the preaching. No one wants to change anything because we don't want to do anything that disrupts what I want for Sunday. But that's not what it's about We need to ask our question, why? And when you ask a a faithful question, why? Why Jesus as a human? You know what you're saying to God? You're actually saying, I'm taking this seriously. And I'm going to go on a mission to seek out truth. When I ask why, why I'm this way and why I'm doing these things, I'm actually saying, I want more out of my life. I'm not just settling for whatever God gives me or whatever I have. I'm on this mission to seek the truth and to live out this gospel by understanding it and really really becoming a disciple. I love what Jeremy said last week. What we say up here. Only matters if we're growing, if there's a downward movement of, of people seeking truth and wanting more from Christ. If we're just saying up here and it's this flowery thing and everybody rah-rahs and we grow to this mega church, it doesn't really do us anything if we're really not living it out. I love the last couple messages of, of Kim teaching on the word and Jeremy just saying, we've got to be the gospel givers into this society. It's super critical. Do you know about Jesus? Do you guys know about Jesus? Let me tell you one of the things that Jesus did is he asked questions. As somebody asked him a question. You ever see that in the gospel somebody asks Jesus a question and what does he respond with a question? Because questions are critical. They're they're a critical thinking habit that we need to have as we explore Jesus. We need to understand that questioning some things are okay. This is crucial. He made questions to make other people think about important issues to help them understand who he was and what he had come to do. When we question things, we need to know who Jesus was and what did he really come to do. And that's what we're going to do today. Last thing before we dig into the text. If you have questions of faith and are struggling or having issues or a little bit of doubt, doubt is not bad. As long as you go into this search saying, I'm going to find the truth. And it's not from a professor. It might not even be from a, a parent or a child. It might just be you seeking the Lord and the word and then asking for some advice as you're walking through it. But go on this search for truth and let the word of God transform whatever you're struggling with. That's where we begin today. Today, I have one verse that I want to break apart, and it's uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. But I want to be honest to the gospel, and I'm just going to read the first 13 verses to make sure everything I say is in context to the way it's preached to us. Because a lot of times, we take one verse, and we can make it say whatever we want. But here's what it says. One of the greatest beginnings of all time in any part of the Bible, it's the prologue. In the beginning was the word, already existed the word is Jesus and in what we call eternity past in theology eternity doesn't have the time like we do Monday through Friday it's just the space and eternity past it says in the beginning in this thing called eternity past God was already there the Jesus was already there and so was the Holy Spirit the word was with God Jesus was there and the word was and Jesus is God And today we're going to talk about This God-man, 100% God, 100% man. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So all of creation, everything that we celebrate, everything that we have was built through the eyes and the lens of Jesus Christ. He is the purpose of the creation. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. If your life sucks right now, This is a depressive time. Not everybody loves Christmas. Not everybody wants to hear Christmas jingles. And not only that, it's a tough season for some because things happen during Christmas. Tragedies happen. And it's a hard time for many. But listen, it says the word gives life. So go to Jesus and he will help you with your life. And bring you out of darkness because he is the light. And that's what it says. The light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God's light can't be extinguished. You could do a lot of stuff. You can roll around in the mud and the crap and all of the dirty things of this world, but even that won't extinguish the light if you have it. You just need to pick yourself up, shake yourself off, ask for help, and let God walk you through that. Now he talks about a forerunner, somebody that's gone before him. He says this, God sent a man, John the Baptist, not the John that wrote this, but John the Baptist, the guy that uh, ate, ate uh, I was going to say ate camels, but no, he didn't. He literally li- have camel hair uh, garb, but he ate honey and insects. He says, to tell, the, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe in his testimony. John himself was not the light. He simply was a witness to tell people about the light. Prepare the way. The Lord is coming. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. Verse 10, he, claimed into, he came into the very world he created. Jesus came down from heaven... And came into the very world that he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. And they rejected him. Psalm, or, uh, Isaiah 53. But all who believe him. And accepted him. God, he gave them. He, Jesus, became, gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not by a physical birth. I love this. Resulting from human passion or plan. But a birth comes, that comes from God. This wasn't a passionate night. That happened where there was some sexual relationships that brought our Savior. That's what it says. It was a rebirthing and it was God putting the baby into Mary's life and God then putting Himself into your life so that you can become the person that God wants you. And that brings you to our verse today. So, everybody, stand. I want to just change the feeling in the atmosphere today as you're online, if you're We're not outside today because it's raining, so we're all in here. I just want to read this. I want to read this because this might be one of the most important verses that we ever read together. It says this. So the word became human, and he made his home among us. Everybody look around and realize that the home is here. It's not about the walls. It's not about the projectors or the songs. It's among us. And it says, That he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And now he gives his own personal testimony. We have seen his glory and the glory of the father, one and only son. So let's pray. Father, we receive this word today. We receive this in the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask that you move powerfully. We thank you for your blood, Lord. We thank you for your love and unfailing uh, mercy upon us. And we ask that you bestow the grace and mercy. So that we can live a life for you. Help us understand what you have for us today. Give us a revelation from, your, from, your, from heaven. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Hey, for John to write these words that Jesus became human, this was scandalous. This was not Normal. Separate from the Roman Empire and you not being able to claim anyone else as Lord but, G, uh, but the, the, the emperor. This was scandalous because God was perfect to the Jewish people. God was perfect and untouchable and you couldn't see him and you, you couldn't touch the mountain. He was just separate and distant. He was this great being that had all power and authority. But now... He's saying God has changed, and this was scandalous. He was saying it was beyond human reasoning and beyond our approach. The God that we have is a God that's distant. We don't know him. We just know of him, and we kind of worship the power of who he is. But now it says that, no, he's in flesh. He's human, the incarnation The Greek word for flesh is sarx. And what it really means to be in flesh, it means lesser. It means defective. So, everybody feel your skin. Yeah, a little bit lesser. Little defective. And you know what it meant? It was far from heaven. My buddy Dave was praying for me today. And he was talking about it in the prayer time. That Jesus came down from heaven and and the comforts of home like those of you online in the comfort of your own home he came down from heaven to be with us lesser people defective people to dwell amongst you why there's a reason and that's what we're going to explore today. He wanted to dwell with his creation. How many times do people want to dwell? We have all kinds of movie stars in our area. Living in the Southern California, a few minutes from, uh, from uh, Malibu. We have all kinds of movie stars that come into our Starbucks and our grocery store and all kinds of that. But those people really don't want to be seen. People that got a lot of power and money and prestige, they want to be unknown. Because it's not very popular. Why would a king that, that has all power and authority want to come and dwell with his people? Doesn't sound very fun because it's not supposed to be fun. So Jesus became human for reasons to dwell with his creation. And what does that look like? Let's talk about what he looked like for a second. There's this thing called the Shroud of Turin. Everybody might have heard it. And from that Shroud of Turin, I think we have a picture. They've kind of outlined... Uh, the one before that, the, the Shroud of Turin. The, the one before that, they outlined kind of this picture. Now, in the Shroud of Turin, in 1988, they said it's a fake. I don't know if you guys have done any research on this. 88 said it was a fake. It was right around the 13th century or uh, 12th century that this isn't true. But really, recently, in the last seven months, they retested it because we've got better technology today. And they're actually saying it fits the time period. Now in the Shroud of Turin, it's a 14-foot piece of cloth that they say wrapped Jesus. And this person that was wrapped had a crown, bloody head, and he had scourging marks all over his body. And so in one side, you see the image, but the other side, they've kind of just done an X-ray imaging to see what it would look like. So what does Jesus look like? If he became human, what does he look like? If you look at the next picture, we make Jesus look like what we want to look like, right? He looks like, in Japan, he looks like people in Japan. In in America, he looks like American. If you look at him in Europe, if you look at him in Africa, we make Jesus look like whatever we want him to look like. But the truth is, we need to go to the Middle East and see what does a Middle Eastern person look like, because that's where he was from. And there's a depiction of what he looks like in the next picture. This is actually what a Middle Eastern man during that age would look like. And so that's, not that that's exactly what he looked like, but that's the idea. And we see the beauty, not because of who he, uh, what he looked like, but who he was. And then everybody know the eight-year-old picture? This is an eight-year-old that had a revelation experience and met Jesus. And uh, this is his depiction of Jesus. And whatever he looks like, we know this. Here's what it says, Isaiah 53. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, Hundreds of years, here's what he says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. It wasn't about what he looked like, but it's what we saw in him. So there's five reasons that Jesus came to earth, and I'm going to roll through these five reasons. Maybe you know one or two or three, congratulations. My hope is as you walk through this day, you'll have five reasons and you'll have good information to tell someone else in your family or a friend at work why Jesus came. Here's five reasons. Number one, this is about the incarnation. Jesus became man to satisfy the prophecies he became man to show us the father he became man to sympathize with our weakness he became man to save us from our sins and he became man to secure our hope from heaven let's go through these one by one and see what we receive by knowing each one of these truths and here's the thing I'm going to give you the word of God and what the word says not what Jeff says I got my own ideas that doesn't mean it's necessarily true. That just means them are my own ideas. All we can do is point to the Word of God, and here's what it says. The first one is, Jesus became man to satisfy the prophecies of the Old Testament. There's an Old Testament. It's on this part of your Bible, the place nobody ever likes to go, except Jeremy. There's a whole other section. It's nice. It's good, right? And so on the, ba- on the front side of the Bible, there's this Old Testament and there's these words Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, the, God tells uh, Isaiah, Go to King Ahaz and give him this message and show him God's plan. And they're in the middle of wartime. They're always at war. And there's only a small period of peace when Solomon was, was reigning at the beginning of his reign. And in the middle of it, God reveals his plan, not for the day but for his future plan of salvation here's what it says Isaiah 7:14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will be called Emmanuel. Listen, both Christmas stories in Matthew and in Luke, both Christmas stories say that you will have a son and we will call Emmanuel. We know his name's not Jesus. The actual word Emmanuel just means that he's with us. He's dwelt among us, that he's human and he's here and he understands it, that he's with us. That's what it says. And then it says a little bit later, more of the Christmas story in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. I don't know if I have it up there. It says, for a child was born, unto us a son given to us the government it's going to rest on his shoulders not yours doesn't mean not to vote that's not what it says it just means that the government's going to be propped up on him And then it says that uh, he will be called, and this is who he is. This is what was predicted. He will become wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. We know that to be true because that's who he is. The beauty of it is what was predicted hundreds of years before Jesus came comes true. Right? That gives us validation and confirmation that who God is actually really is true because he does what he says he's going to do. Don't you like those type of people? They're like, hey, I'll meet you, and they actually meet you. Or, hey, I'll help you, and they actually help you. Versus those flaky ones. Raise your hand here if you're a flake. Thank you. I've actually seen you flake out on me before. (laughs) Thanks for your honesty. Luke 24, at the resurrection, here's what Jesus says about all the prophecy. This is super critical. So now Jesus has been resurrected. He's died. He's come back to life. And Luke 24, verse 44, it says this. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the laws of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Everything in that section that only Jeremy likes comes true. And then Jesus confirms it. He gives you validation that's like, hey, everything that was written was me. I'm the one. Look and see. And I fulfilled every part of it. Every chapter. Every verse in the Old Testament, he is a part of it. And he says, I'm not coming to abolish those. I'm actually coming to be the fulfillment. This brings us validation and confirmation, and that does something for us. The second one is he becomes a man to show us the Father. And this is super cool. John chapter 14 is one of those great places to see how Jesus shows the Father. And here's what it says I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's who he is, he's the gate. To a, to a life with Christ. He's a gate to a place in heaven. No one comes to Father except through me. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you know him and have seen him because God became flesh. Now, I'm gonna skip a few chapters for time, but bas- or a few verses, but basically, Philip's like, well, just show us the Father and we'll be happy. How many times you're like, Lord, Lord just show me yourself and I'll follow you for the rest of the day or the rest of the week, and then you're like, nah, not really. You could do a miracle in my life, but I'll give up on you in about two or three weeks because we're the great forgetters. That's why we need to come to church regularly. That's why we need to be in Bible study regularly. That's why we need to read daily because we forget often how beautiful and wonderful the Father is. And then Philip's like, just show me. And here's what Jesus says. Anyone who has seen me, verse 9c, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus is like, what are you talking about? It's me. And then he says, don't you believe that I am the father and the father is in me? These words I have said to you, uh, I do not speak on my own accord or my own authority. Rather, it's the father living in me doing this work. Don't you want the father to live in you and do his work? You got to believe in the father that the father sent his son to be a human being. And then you've got a daily practice, hourly. For some of you like me that are sicker than most, I need it every day, all day. And remind myself so that I can experience God for the fullness. And then he says this. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or, and this is my favorite part. I love to ask the question. I always say this in my house. Or, there's another side to it. Here's what he says. Or, at least believe in the evidence of the works that you've seen. At least believe in the evidence, the works themselves. You know, I was talking to a friend who I went to college with recently and I was talking to a family member and I'm like, they didn't believe. And I'm like, look, at least believe what you see in me because my family members know what I used to look like. You guys don't really know it and you guys think, oh, Jeff, nice guy. I've not always been a nice guy. I promise you this. I was a horrible guy doing horrible things far beyond what you can imagine. Think of the worst thing that you can think of and then go a little bit farther. But I say to my family members who know me, go, at least look at the evidence of who I am because I'm not that person anymore. And that's what Jesus is saying. At least look at the evidence. Look at the evidence of what has happened. And I was telling my friend at college, I'm like, look at the evidence. You've seen me in college and how out of control I was. And look at me today. You've got to at least believe that. If you don't want to believe anything else, believe that something impacted me and changed me to be a different person. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look at the evidence of what has happened to people's lives. 2.7 billion people today worshiping him. The third one, probably my favorite one, this one brings me the most comfort, is that he became man to sympathize with our weakness. Who's weak today? Yeah. And you know what? The father says, I'm here. And I'm here to minister to your heart, and I'm here to lift you up. In Hebrews chapter 4, we see this, and it says this. It says, This is 14. I don't know if it's in the notes. It says, Since then, we have a high priest who was entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us live for that truth and hold firmly. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Whoever just raised their hand and whoever was too afraid to raise their hand, he understands your weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings or trials, he saved all of it, yet he didn't sin. He had the opportunity to have sexual intercourse, yet he didn't sin. He had the opportunity to drink and over drink, yet he didn't sin. He had the opportunity to be greedy or to have a power trip and have uh, have everybody worship him and honor him and and lift him up as king of the world, but he didn't want that. He wanted to be king of heaven. He had the opportunities that you have and he also knew what the darkness of this world felt. Yet he didn't sin. And that's why he sympathizes with us. And then it says, so if you believe that, then it says, let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious Lord. There he will receive us in mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. I don't know if you know this, but one of the reasons he came is that he can give you grace and mercy every day, all day. For the flaky ones and the punctual ones. For the ones that are feeling less than today and the ones that are feeling a little bit of themselves too much. He came to give us all grace and mercy. He understands our weakness. He's gonna meet you wherever you he met. He wants to meet you. He met me in jail. And I hope you never have to go there. But listen, if you do, he's there. Just like he can meet you now in church or he can meet you in your car or at home or in your room. Or in your darkest place, he'll meet you. The fourth one is Jesus became a man to save us from our sins. This is the one that we probably talk about the most in church that we have sins. And in the Christmas story, where Joseph, we'll talk about Joseph next week, Joseph is having a dream about who, you know, his wife basically is with child and it's not his child. So, what do we do today in our society? Well, we're at 52% divorce, so just get rid of her. That's what we do. It's not my child. Get rid of her. Well, God gives gives Joseph a vision, and in this vision, he speaks to him and says, and she's going to have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save people from their sins. He wakes up from this dream, and he runs to his wife or his future wife and says, let's go. I know what the plan is. It's not about me. Because what you're bringing into the world is gonna be the savior of the world. Jesus came to save us from our sins. We just finished, hey, we just finished an amazing sermon series in Timothy, did we not? was it not amazing what we did? super good, super powerful. You missed any of them. We have a podcast. We have them online. Videos, you can watch them. But it was an amazing series. But here's what Timothy, Timothy said five different times. This is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept. This is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept. Everybody put your hands out. Okay. I'm gonna say something, it's not my words, it's God's words, you need to accept this. If you're not in an acceptance, you're pushing it back. The only way that you can accept the gift is by holding your hand out. So here's what it says, here's what it says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Whether you have your hand out or not, you receive that and put yourself in there. Christ came into the world to save me, Jeff Rodriguez and even you it's amazing yeah thank you and Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 it says this and it says God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead to our sins he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead God is so rich my God is rich My God is rich, far beyond any wealth. He has more money and more property. But beyond that, that's all what we think is important. He has grace and mercy. That's the richness of our God. He is so rich that he wanted to save you and me, but he didn't want to put you and me on the cross because that blood sacrifice would be less than because that's what flesh means he wanted a perfect sacrifice he's rich in mercy he saves us and it's only by the grace of God that you've been saved that's why he saved us here's the fifth one Jesus became man to secure our hope in heaven I don't know about you but sometimes I think to myself this life sucks You guys go through something her- terrible or you see something horrible. But listen, this isn't your only spot. There's a better place. It's called heaven. And in heaven, this life is gone. Whatever you did, it's gone. You're not going to be worried about bills or mortgages or your spouse or. You know, how you look, all of that's gone because he secured a place in heaven. Psalm 23, verse 5 says he's prepared a table. Here's what Billy Graham says For the believer, if you're a believer, and for the believer, there is hope beyond the grave. I just did a, a life celebration for a little baby named Andre, 12 hours. There's hope beyond the grave. For Andre and everything that's passed on this earth, there's hope beyond the grave because there's something greater in this world. And the greatness of this world comes from Jesus Christ because he secures our hope in heaven. It says, Billy Graham says, because Jesus has opened the door to heaven for all of us by his death and his resurrection. There's a door open. And most of us are standing in the middle of the door kind of going, well, if there's an earthquake, I'm safe, but that's not going to save you. You need to go into the door. And on the other side, it opens up to the most beautiful place you've ever lived. And it's still in Camarillo or it's still in Ventura County and it's still in your crappy house or home, but there's a greater life out there. Because we have our hope in heaven. Here's what Paul writes in Colossians 1.27. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for everyone. Not just the Jewish people that rejected him. It's for everyone. And this is the secret. Here's the secret. In my Bible, every time it says this is the mystery or this is the secret, I highlight it and I'm like, okay, what is it? Here's the secret. Christ Jesus lives in you. Everybody say, Christ is in me. He's there. And he's working. And he's in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing in his glory because Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. He is the hope of this world. Jesus is the hope of the world because of all the blessings he brings because he became a human being. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. He became flesh to actually present God to all of us. That's what he came to do. He wanted to present himself and 2,000 years later, we're still living on that presentation that he gave us while he lived upon this earth. One man, Mao, kills 45 million. But the greater man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, has saved billions and has billions to save until he comes back. And we can't be afraid of that. He saves billions. So the word became flesh and made his home among us. And I don't know about you, but I love that. Because sometimes in my life, I have a hole. And the only thing that ever fills that hole is Jesus Christ. And the only way that I can experience Jesus Christ is by living with him and praying to him and reading and discipling and helping and being the hands and feet. Not because I want to, but because this is who Christ is and who he wants in us. He wants us to be part of his walk. The reality of Jesus becoming human being has a tremendous significance. Tremendous significance. I don't even know if there's a, what's a better word than tremendous? Yeah, thanks. Understanding Jesus' humanity is a complete game changer. It's a game changer. Whatever game you're playing, if you understand Jesus became flesh for you and me, it changes the game and the game is now played differently because of who Jesus Christ is. Let us grasp that for a minute. If your life isn't changing, then you got you to get more Jesus in it. If it's static and unchanging then you need Jesus in it. And if you've already accepted Jesus and you got to do more work and it's not like put on your thing, it's like praying and asking for help and reading. It's not just kind of doing it, it's like submitting and getting on your face and saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to move until you move me. It's doing something different for the kingdom of God and letting Jesus reign in every part of who you are. Jesus didn't become a human for one or two of these things or these five biblical reasons. I'm like, oh, I've known one of those. I believe in one. I really like this one. Jesus came for all of those reasons for you and so much more. He's a redeemer. He's a reconciler. He he teaches us to repent and turn our sins over. He's the righteousness of God. He comes so much more. There's so much more of why he's a human, but all you've gotta do is ask him and invite him and let the humanity of Jesus dwell inside of you and watch the glory of God out of you into other people's lives. Jesus came for you. He came for your family members, even the one that you hate right now, we're struggling with. Hate's a strong word. He came for your friends, your enemies. He came, with, came for those that are different religions. He came into this world to save us. He became flesh so that you can live a better life. The incarnation is valuable and the day that you understand this is the day that your faith will explode. Let me give you five quick reasons and five words that I've received as I studied this week. As Jesus came into the world to satisfy the prophecy, my identity felt confirmation. Who I am in Christ felt confirmed. Confirmed of who he is Uh, uh, by Jesus showing us the father I have confidence I know that my father is in me and is in Jesus and that the spirit is guiding me I have confidence I can walk out of here feeling confident of who I am in Jesus Christ because I am a child of God and I don't have to save myself God has saved me and that brings me confidence sympathizing with our weakness that brings me comfort and you know what I am to be comforted so that I can comfort other people and I have weaknesses, just like you do. It brings us comfort. Saving us from our sins brings us completeness. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, so you are complete with the union of Jesus Christ, who is the head of all authority over you. He is the headship over you. And in that, you are to be complete. And the last one is, he secures a place for us in heaven. And I'm in my identity is content. Even when I feel less than, even feel I feel weak, even when I feel discombobulated and feel like sin is taking over, I'm complete in God. So will you all stand with me? We are gonna get ready to worship God as we've been worshiping in his word, but today we receive him and we love him. And so everybody receive Christ today. Put your hands out. Father, we receive you. We ask that you speak boldly into our lives. We receive the humanity. We receive that you became flesh. And we ask that we glorify you because of who you are. Holy Spirit, move right now. The power of the gospel compels us to live for you. And I pray right now there's a spiritual movement that transforms this place as we worship him. And if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't confessed or needs a a radical life change, all you have to do is yell out, shout out, say in your heart, underneath your breath, Jesus is Lord and he will save you. And this is you. If you're here, receive this and say, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died upon the cross to save me from myself and from my sin. And Holy Spirit, I give you my life. Help me live it until I meet you in heaven. In Jesus' name. Someone online just said it. Let's celebrate and worship Jesus Christ.